Well, this has been a conversation that's been a long time coming in my mind, and that is to do a pod with somebody who I've known for over 20 years now, uh, and uh, somebody who was one of the very first beer people I ever met, and that is a famous, worldwide renowned beer writer, Stephen Beaumont. Stephen, welcome to the program. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to having a chat. We've done a lot of these off the air. Let's do one on. Love it. So I want to just start, as I'm sure you do, uh, with how you got into beer. Because you got in before most people did. Um, and I just want to hear how... Just tell, me your, tell, tell us your story, how you got into the beer world way back when. Well, there are two sides to that story. Side one is that um, I tasted my first beer at around the age of 11 uh, in the company of my parents, okay. in the company of my brother, who was actually drinking the beer, and I just had a taste of it, and I liked it. And uh, then, you know, through high school, I drank beer. Um, I hung out with friends who were very picky about what they did drink. Um, we would always buy the best beer we could afford. Uh, when the first microbreweries came around, Wellington, Upper mm -hmm. Canada, and Brick, we bought those when we could afford it. Yep. And uh, just kind of, I was always interested in beer. Um, in 1987, I was working for a now defunct pub in uh, Toronto called The Idler. Okay. And the managers were a couple. She was from Belgium, he was from England. And they were going back to her hometown in Belgium. And her, her hometown happened to be Hoogard. <laughs> and knowing that I was interested in beer, she brought me back a bottle of Hoogard. Now oh, this wow. was before it started its steep decline sure. to what it is today. And probably not something you could get anywhere no, around was, here at all. It was only available in Belgium, and even in Belgium, yeah. it wasn't readily available. Huh. Uh, so she hand-carried a back bottle for me. I tried it, and I was blown away. I had had German beers, I had had American, Canadian, British, Czech beers. I had never, I'd even had Belgian beers. I'd had Duval, I'd had Chimay at yeah. that point. But I'd never had a beer that had this kind of range of flavors in it. And that fascinated me. Yeah. So that was the beer side. How I got into writing about beer was that I liked writing. Yeah. Um, I'm a political science graduate. Okay. So in the late 1980s, no one was going to hire a Paul Sci graduate to write for them. Um, you needed to have journalism school, J school, as it's called. Yeah. Uh, with no J school, I said, okay, fine, I'll specialize. I'll become an expert in something. So I spent about two years teaching myself about beer. Okay. Um, not just about beer, but about how to taste as well. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we, lots of us go through our entire lives not really tasting anything properly. Yeah. So I had to teach myself how to break down flavors in my mind, how to 
describe these beers that I and everything else. That I was and there must back. must not have been much to learn from back then. It was pretty much Michael Jackson. That <laughs> yeah. was about it. Yeah. There, there was not. I used to go through Michael's books and taste the same beers as he was tasting yeah. and make notes alongside his and go, okay, now I'm not tasting that, but I am tasting this and try to figure out why we were tasting things differently or why we were tasting things the same when that happened. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then I, I spent, out of those two years, one year was pretty much spent trying to convince an editor to give me a shot. Yeah. And that editor was Peter Goddard at the Toronto Star, Star yeah. to whom I'm uh, forever grateful. Uh, you know, you counted the breweries in Canada at that time in the dozens, not in the hundreds. Yeah. Uh, there were probably somewhere in the range of maybe 20, 25, 30 breweries in Ontario. Yeah, sounds right. And he said, you know, let's let's give this a try. Yeah. And um, I did a bi-weekly column with the Star for three years, which was never an official column. I mm. had a header, I had a photo in there, but Peter always, every column, I'd say, so what do you want me to do for two weeks? And I said, well, let's, let's see what happens and we'll get you back in if we can. Right. But it was always a bi-weekly column. It was just never officially a bi-weekly column. Yeah. <laughs> But good enough to have, uh, obviously, keep bringing you back every two weeks. Yep, yep. And uh, that ended right around the time that I wrote my first book. Okay, uh, yeah. The, the very first Great Canadian Beer Guide. Um, I wrote some articles for the Star while I was researching the book. By the time the book came out, I think Star and I had pretty much parted ways. They decided to redesign the, um, the section that I was in. Okay. And there was simply no room for me. Yeah. So uh, I uh, I bid farewell and went on to other things. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious about what it was like back then as a writer because I mean to call you a trailblazer is an understatement because it was there it just was, it was not a thing like there was there were no other writers and I remember when I first reached out to you and I'll tell that story at some point today you were the only person that came to mind because you were the only person. And and I'm curious, like, just to hear, like, what was, because I was a bit younger than you, so I didn't have a sense of the landscape professionally. So what was it like to write when there was really nothing else around? Like, were people, like, people positive? They must have been. They, people, people would regularly say to me, you do what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they still do, but... Um, not as much. Yeah, it's uh, more of a thing now. Yeah. But 25 there, years later. <laughs> there was a lot of incredulity about what I did. Um, people would just say, you know, how do you write about beer? Say, well, you know, wine writers, they write about wine. I do the same thing, but about beer. Yeah. And by the time I had like the third book coming out, um, I'd say, oh, yeah, this is my third book. How do you write three books about beer? <laughs> like, what's there to write about that you can write three books about beer? Like now, I'm I've written 13 now, and I'm still got plenty of stuff in the hopper. Yeah. So you know, it's, there's a lot there. Um, it was it was interesting back then. Um, it was a fight, a constant fight for credibility. Yeah. Uh, trying to get people to take me seriously as a writer, take me seriously as a critic. Um, stop beating around the bush with brewers. Uh, I used in my early early years, like the first couple. I use the word interesting a lot. <laughs> yeah. Writing the Great Canadian Beer Guide cured me of that affliction. Um, if a brewery, then and today, if a brewery asks, or a brewer asks me what I think about a beer, I tell them. Yeah. 
And if I think that there's a flaw in it, if I think there's an infection in it, if I think it's got diastole, I tell you them say, that. You say, yeah. Um, and it's, it's entirely up to them to either accept that or, um, or not. tell me to you know, get lost. A lot of brewers back then didn't like me. Mm. Um, I was the guy who pissed on Ontario craft beer. Well, microbrewery beer was Micro craft beer. Yeah. Um, because I wanted our beer to become as good as it could be. I wanted it to be quality level, not provincial quality, uh, national quality. I wanted it to be internationally as good as what was out there. Yeah. And it wasn't. And the way I saw it is I, by criticizing the beers, I was encouraging brewers to do better, yeah. to create better beers. And I like to think I had a little hand in that actually happening. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll jump all over the place, but that's an interesting segue, because the question I wanted to ask you was, when did you start to see the turn? Because I think we can agree that the Ontario beer scene, I always joke about this, back when I first started drinking, I used to be able to name, or I, not name, I probably had tried every beer in Ontario. And you could legitimately keep up with everything everybody was doing, and probably have it, if you worked at it. Now that's impossible. There's more stuff that's come out today than I'll ever try, and I, I can't keep up with you know, what's out this week. I can't keep up with what's on the shelves of my local liquor store. Exactly. I can't even keep up with what's in the grocery store. Yeah. Um, but I think back to like some of the key moments that I feel helped Ontario get to be a better beer province. So I'm curious to hear like what were some of the things that, like when did you start to see Ontario taking a turn for the better beer-wise? Well, you know, it, it wasn't something I was aware of at the time, but a number of people have told me that one of the big things in Ontario beer was the arrival of the beer market on the Esplanade. Mm. Yeah. I've, had, I've had brewery, or not brewery, uh, bar owners and bar managers tell me that the fact that that was there gave them the confidence to start stocking different beers. Um, of course, the, the story of the beer market is itself kind of funny because they opened up and uh, Alan, what was Alan's last name? Uh, the historian, Alan Sneed. He, oh, was, yeah. he was at one point one of the partners in um, the Algonquin Brewing Company. Okay, yeah. And he, uh, he went on to write a book on Canadian beer history. Uh, but Alan was their beer consultant. And God bless Alan. Wow. He just went to the liquor store and he said, well, we'll have one of those and one of those and one of those and one of those. There was no rhyme nor yeah, rhythm. Yeah, it was just everything. Um, so they, they realized that about, uh, I'd say, three or four weeks in that they were out of their depth in terms of beer and they hired me as a consultant. Okay. And I consulted with them for three years. I wrote the beer list that they're still, that they're still using today. Oh, yeah. Um, there's the format... Well, the last time I was in there, which is probably a year ago. Yeah. Um, but the format was still the same. Um, they were using still some of my descriptions in there. <laughs> uh, and and that was, but as I said, the, the, the beer market's existence on, on that kind of scale gave a lot of bar owners the, I mean, Say What was around, Smokeless Joe's was around, yeah. but there was not something that said, this is not niche, this yeah, is just popular culture. Yeah. And the beer market said, this is popular culture, and well, that yeah. was a real game changer. It was kind of like a grand statement on yeah. beer. Absolutely. And you're right, I loved the old Joe's back in the day, and I loved that it was kind of this little hole in the basement, 
and had a beer list that really was just kind of like that. It was just everything the LCBO ever had. Yeah. And it felt like you were kind of a part of an inside club because you knew about it. But yeah, when the beer market came is when it's like, okay, now it's, it's big. And I got, I got to tell you my smokeless Joe story. Oh, please do. Um, I was sitting at home at the time I lived around uh, St. Clair and Oakwood. Oh, and, yeah. And I just finished dinner, was sitting around washing the dishes, and I got a phone call. And it was Sergey, the okay. old yeah. owner of yeah. Smokeless Joe's. And Ser- why Sergey had my phone number, I don't even know. <laughs> but Sergey had my phone number, and he said, Steve, you've got to get down here. Tim Webb's at the bar. And I said, oh, come on, Sergey. It's like, I'm just getting ready to relax. He said, seriously, you should come down. I said, okay, fine, I'll come down. And that was where I met Tim Webb. Really? That was probably like 98, um, 97, 98, 99, somewhere in there. And uh, Tim and I drank a couple beers together, uh, became great friends, and of course eventually went on to write the World Atlas of Beer together. Yeah, well it's funny because I, I, I mentioned you to this, mentioned this to you earlier. I was looking through your old, my collection of your books at the house, and wanted to bring as many as I could, but couldn't fit them all in my bag. And on the shelf was Tim's Belgian book. And so, you know, as I was flipping through my old beer books, I'm like, hey, there's Tim's face. Yeah. And I don't know if I've ever met him, but uh, it was kind of funny as I, as I was looking through my old beer books. Of course, you're there, and then he's right there, too. And, of course, you guys have gone on to write books together. He, he so. comes through Toronto fairly regularly. Next yeah. time he's through, you should do one of these with him. That'd be awesome. Um, okay, so I wanted to, like, let's, let's talk about travel for a second, because I think we'll bounce around a bit. And your new book is... Uh, called Will Travel for Beer, and of course your travel has been extensive. And so I just like, you know, a few questions I wanted to ask about this, but you know, when you, for, when you go traveling, what do you, like what, what drives you beer-wise when it comes to travel? What are you looking for when you go somewhere for a good beer experience? And then I want to hear about the best beer experiences that you've had. Um. What try? I mean, curiosity more than anything. Uh, you know, now back then, um, in the in the '90s and the early 2000s, um, I didn't get invited to a lot of places, so it was all on my own initiative. I get invited to a lot more places now. Yeah. Um, but it, it was really curiosity. You know, you hear about something, you hear about what's going on in Italy, and you want to go over and see it. You hear about, um, you know, Cascale. I've had Cascale in Toronto. Say what's had Cascale on for uh, you know, most of their existence. Forever. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go to England and taste Cascale in England. It's a, it's a different animal. They do it so much better than we do. Yeah. <laughs> Except for the granite. The granite can stand yes. up to the best <laughs> yeah. of British guys. Um, you know, I wanted to go to Prague. I wanted to visit the brewery in Pilsen. Um, I wanted to hear see what all this smoked beer from Bamberg was all about. Yeah. And, and I, I just did it. Well, it must have been a great wealth of content because your third book, if I am not incorrect, was the Brew Pub Cookbook. It was, yes. And you obviously couldn't just do that with what you found in Toronto. So you had no choice but to go around 
meeting them and finding out their recipes and what people were doing yeah. abroad. Well, the Brew Pub Cookbook was back when I was extensively traveling North America. When I started traveling, I, I, deci I decided on this very consciously. First up was Canada. When I wrote the Great Canadian Beer Guide, I traveled the entire country. Yeah. Um, I, I really covered it all. Uh, so I've been to every province. I've been to one territory. Still got two territories to go. Um, most provinces I've been to many times. Um, then I got into the States. So the Brew Pub Cookbook was uh, recipes from all around North America. Yeah, because it had a lot of American places. Um, a lot of, and those are just spots that I'd gone to where I knew that there was a good food component. Because remember, back then in the 90s, you went out to drink good beer, you were not in any way guaranteed good food. In yeah. fact, you were almost guaranteed bad food. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I saw the Brew Pub Cookbook as a way to highlight those who were doing good food. Who were, and it's, it's not all snooty cuisine. It's not you know. It's, it's not all carbonades and bourguignons. It's there's a lot of very basic pub food, but done well. Yeah. There's a, a chili recipe in there that I still use today. I, I love. Yeah. Um, so you know that that was step two. Step three was Europe. Um, and I started hitting Europe hard in the late 90s. Yeah. Um, and then eventually came Asia and Australasia as well. Still haven't been to Africa. Oh, okay. Or, or the Arctic. Right. Okay, well, then there's still places on the list to go. Um, so I wanted to talk about something that I think inspired me from your writing. And that was, I always loved a taste for beer. And the reason I loved it was I never was what I thought was a good beer writer. Sorry, rater. I, I, I wasn't good at the analysis of beer and its qualities. I knew what I liked. I knew what I thought was good and what I thought wasn't. But what I loved about Taste for Beer was that it kind of talked about beer almost like experientially. Like it wasn't just like there's the beer, but then there's the things that surround it, the environment, the culture, the people, the society, all those things. And so I've always thought about that whenever I've traveled the world and beer experiences that stick in my head, things like the, and I think you share this, the, um, the Kolsch guys and um, Cologne, that experience of that bartender service and the beer and the ticking of the coasters and that sort of thing. I'm curious to hear what were some of the beer experiences that have stood out over the years in your mind. Just like great times that you've had with beer that wasn't in a rating or an analysis perspective, but just like a great oh fest God. or a great event or a great... There, I know there's, there's got to be millions, but yeah. you're the one that's done them all. So I got to ask this question. Well, you know, I, I got to say this about taste um, first. That was, of course, my second book. Yeah. Um, it was uh, a, a very unconventional book. There were not a lot, there were not a huge number of beer books around at the time. But I didn't want to do another guide, I, mm. I wanted to do something a bit different. And uh, it was a very unconventional book. Uh, remained my favorite book until I co-wrote the World Atlas of Beer. Okay. Um, so out of all, out of all, I wrote 
six books before the Atmos. Um, yeah. So Taste remained my favorite. I was going to ask you what your favorite, favorite was. Child, so. My favorite child. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was also probably my greatest disaster as a writer. It did not sell. Um, it was way too unconventional. The, the Great Canadian Beer Guide was actually a Canadian bestseller. Hmm. Um, taste for beer was not. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Beer Guide was just so easy to pick up and you can read any page because it's like, hey, this is the, you know, the beers in you know, Delta, B.C. I mean, the, the taste for beer was, it was a read. Like, yeah, it was, it was a read. And, um, but going back to your experience idea, yeah. I find some of the, you know, I'll be tempted to say that I find the best experiences at the most traditional places. You, you mentioned going to Cologne or Cologne. You sit in this wide open beer hall and the waiter who's called a Koba comes by in his apron and he plunks down this little 200 milliliter cylinder of beer in the glass called a Stanja, which is mandated. You're not allowed to serve Kolsch in anything else. And you finish it in three sips, and he brings you another one before you have a chance to even think about asking for one. Um, notches your coaster, yeah. and then eventually when you stop drinking, you put your coaster on top of the glass. That is such a simple little thing, but it's such a great experience. Yeah. It's so different and so memorable, and there's nothing else like it in the whole wide world. And it has, it has so little to do with the actual beer. Exactly, I know. And I, when I was in, in Cologne, it was like the, the beer was delicious and tasty, but it almost was secondary to that whole yeah. world of that experience, which just made the whole thing that much more elevated. It was great. So when I'm, when I'm tempted to start talking about the, the old world beer experiences and how they're the best, um, something comes up and bites me in the ass, like when I was down in Buenos Aires. Okay. Buenos Aires is not a beer, traditional beer hub. It is home of Kilmes, which is owned by Anheuser-Busch InBev, and is dreadful, uh, flavorless beer. Yeah. Um, and I was down there judging at a competition, and I was uh, hanging out with some of the Brazilian brewers who were over. And they said, Stephen, have you ever been to this place called Buena, Buena Beira Social Club? And I said, no, never. I'd never even heard of it. He said, well, you must come with us. So we all piled into a taxi, and we were taken to this residential neighborhood in Buenos Aires, suburban Buenos Aires. Yeah. And the taxi driver let us out. Of course, they're all they're taxi drivers speaking Spanish. The Brazilians are speaking this Portuguese-Spanish yeah. hybrid that they use to communicate with the rest of South America. And I'm understanding none of it. But we get out of the cab, the cab takes off, and we look at it. We're in a residential neighborhood. Yeah. These are just houses. houses. These are not businesses. So someone looks out the window of one of the houses, sees us, and comes out and opens up the gate. And what this couple had done was they, they had their house, but they had moved to the second floor of the house and converted the main floor into a brew pub. Wow. So he had his little tiny, like, I don't know, half a heck brewery out back. Um, he grew his own hops. The, the, the wife was in the kitchen. She made some snacks. <laughs> the beer was mediocre, yeah. but my God, what a great experience. But how cool was that? It was yeah. astounding. <laughs> I mean, that's literally, you talk about a, like, micro brewery. That's about as micro yeah. as it gets. Yeah. 
or, or up the up the coast um, into Brazil in Sao Paulo, which is the only city I've ever been to that intimidated me. Hmm. Sao Paulo yeah. has a population just a little bit shy of the population of Canada. Yeah, I hear it's pretty intense. It's it's very intense. It's yeah. huge. Um, and first time I was there, I was very much intimidated by Sao Paulo. So I was taken um, by a local brewer to this bar. Never been to, never heard of. And we got into a taxi, the taxi got lost. <laughs> which is a common occurrence in Sao Paulo, yeah. so I've since discovered. <laughs> taxi actually got into an accident. While you were in while, it? While we were on our way. <laughs> taxi driver got out, Marcelo got out, the guy in the other car got out, they all looked at it and said, eh, okay, fine. And yeah, got back into the cars yeah. and drove away. Um, and then we arrived at this bar called Frango. And Frango remains to this day one of my favorite bars on the planet. Mm. And from the outside, it looks like nothing. It looks like this little hole in the wall that, why would you even go? There are bars on the window, it looks a little run down. So, yeah. yeah, what the hell? You walk in there, it is such an amazing bar. You mm. feel at home immediately, whether you speak Portuguese or not. Yeah. Um, I've directed a number of people there, and nobody has come back with anything but, wow, that's one of the best bars in the world. Is it a, do they make their own beers, or just beer? No, it's just a beer bar. Just a beer bar. It was a beer bar before there was actually craft beer in, in um, Brazil. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So he's, he's been importing. He's, it's, just, it's just an amazing place. Wow, that's cool. Um, what's, uh, so coming a bit closer to home, I wanted to ask you what's like what's exciting you beer wise around us. Around so, Ontario. You know, you know, go from Brazil to Buena, from Buenos Aires in Brazil back to back to the local scene. Um, you know, I was going to ask you a question. Well, maybe I should ask you this first. And I thought about it as I thought about you and your all your travel. Have Have you ever considered? Did you ever consider moving? Um, many times. Yeah. Many times. Um, Maggie, and those of you who don't know me, Maggie is my wife. Um, Maggie and I talked about moving for a year to Antwerp. Uh, we talked very seriously about it. Uh, this is when both my parents were still alive. And um, we were actually cautioned against it by the he then head of tourism for Belgium. Huh. Because there was an organization, it's since been outlawed in Belgium, it was called the Vlamsevolk. And the Vlamsevolk still exist in various incarnations, but the actual organization is outlawed. And they, it's the Flemish people. It's, uh, it's very much a uh, um, make Belgium great again kind of yeah. situation. <laughs> and uh, they, they are not very talented of minor minorities. Oh, okay. And they were at the time pretty much based in Antwerp. And Maggie is black. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lillianne said to us, you know, you really shouldn't do this now. Yeah. is not a good time for it. So we backed off on that. Um, so that was, I guess, the most serious we've gotten lately. We talked very uh, kind of abstractly about buying a place in London, back right. when you still could buy a place in London. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, yeah, we, we've talked about it, but we've never acted on it. Yeah. Um, I like to say in my, my home is wherever I'm putting my head down. Exactly. So. Yeah. And the good thing about being here is that it's pretty easy to travel. Yeah. All over, which yeah, is what I can, you've done. I can so. live pretty much anywhere as long as there's an international airport nearby. Yeah. How <laughs> about um, another beer? I'd love another beer. Another one of these? Um, no. Oh. We're okay, back. we're back. Um, 
So yeah, f- uh, I feel like uh, it would be nice to make sure that we shouted out our host for this afternoon. We are having a nice beer at first. Um, great beer. Henley, I, I wrote the first beer list for Burst as well. Did you? Yeah. I was, I was curious. I want you to tell me all the places that you did do that that you can remember <laughs> because beer market, obviously you're involved in a beer bistro, but where, where's the, I made this joke earlier today about, you know, Bill Belichick in, the fo- in football has his like, all the people that he's coached now coach like 15 other teams. So what are all the bars that have had the Beaumont influence? Um, well, uh, Ralph and Ina Morana came to my first beer appreciation course at George Brown. Oh, yeah? Which Jordan St. John now teaches, mm. same course. I passed it off to Oliver Dawson, Oliver passed it off to Ron Keith. I think it floundered for a little while, and now Jordan's teaching. Um, so yeah, Ralph and Ina came to my course, kind of got bit by the beer bug, and uh, changed over Bolo. Did they uh, ever? <laughs> I think Beer Bistro and Beer Market had their degree of influence around the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never officially, but kind of an unofficial, friendly consultant to the Monk's Table. Um, yeah, okay. Um, young at on Summerhill, young, yeah. that for a while, and everything that Adam went on to to do, and, and successfully and unsuccessfully. Um, I. Uh, <laughs> I told Doug Pengelly when he told me that he wanted to start St. Andre Brewing with a Pilsner, I said, you should go with a Vienna, man. Who's <laughs> doing a Vienna? Um, and thus St. Andre Vienna Lager was born. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's one of those funny things, you know. I, back in the day, uh, when there were still a few beer writers, not every second person in a beer bar was a beer writer. Yeah. Um, that sounds like I'm bitter. I'm not really bitter. I, I sh- that didn't come out right. Um, but, you know, I told you I started the column in the Star. Every time a new beer writer started something new, whether it was taking over the, the, the Star column laid low for a while, but then yeah. it came back. Um, Angus Keeley had a column in Metro. Yeah. Uh, Jordan St. John started writing in the Sun. Every time I saw a new beer writer, I would invite that person out to drink, and we would talk beer. Yeah. Um, because I wanted, I, I mean, I, I can't write everything. No. <laughs> I wouldn't want to write everything. I think having multiple voices is very important. So I want people to have uh, any benefit of my knowledge that they can have. Yeah. Um, so I, I would always take writers out to out mm-hmm. to drink uh, when they started a new column or started a new project like that. Well, I would say it's a good a good opportunity for me to tell the story of how I met you because I think that's a testament to what you just said. So when I was in university, I was a burgeoning beer fan, and I had in my pocket nonstop. Michael Jackson's Pocket Guide to Beer, which I think you had a hand in, because I think you're in the, you're in the I, thanks. I was, I was friends with Michael, but I mean, you know, he, he, anything he would ask me about Canada, I'd tell him. But, yeah, so I always had that with me, and, and then I had your original beer guide close by, and I remember I just thought to myself, well, I wish I knew somebody who was in this business. And I was a student, and so I was just student as a student. 
And I somehow tracked down your email. It might have been through your... I mean, this was so long ago. There wasn't even really websites. Not like they are today. Somehow I tracked down your email address and just sent you an email out of the blue and just said, Hi, my name's Cass. I love to know how you got into beer. And you wrote me back. And you said so. And you were very encouraging. And you were very gracious and friendly to a total stranger. And... It was because of that, I actually, you know, it gave me enough, like, sort of, hey, this is a good thing to do. And from that, I started the beer club I did at university, which led to the bar towel, which leads, led to my yeah. website and all the things that I did. I remember, so, didn't I? I hosted a beer tasting for your beer club, didn't I? Yeah. Well, you, yeah. I mean, I, back then we did, we did bar events and, like, invite you out and, like, we do tastings because it was so, it was, like, I mean, such... It was such a small community. Like, it would be like, hey, let's go. There's only, like, six bars that we go to that would have decent beer. I mean, I, half the time I just run into you by chance anyway because we were always just at yeah. the same place. I remember um, you came up to me at Say What? Talking about your concept with the bar towel. And uh, I think my, my reaction was something along the lines of, good luck with it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, this, this is another kind of beer history thing. I was an early adopter on the web. Um, yeah. Realbeer.com. I know. Started out, and uh, they, uh, I was down in San Francisco talking to the developers, Pat Hagerman and Mark Silva, and uh, I, they said, you know, why don't you have a website? We'll host it. Yeah, you it was like part con- of content. part of the bigger site. Um, it would never. It wasn't never realbeer.com slash world of beer. It was always worldofbeer.com. Yeah. Um, but they hosted it and they linked to it, yeah. and I linked back to them. Um, I remember. I got that. Kevin Fair, uh, his job with them. Um, he started with the Canadian Beer Guide online, or I forget okay. what you call it. Yeah. Oh right, I it remember that. It was a that. division of. Uh, real beer again. Yeah, it was the map of Canada, and you could click on the dots yeah. to see the breweries. So he started that on his own, and I connected him with Real Beer. And then he went on to work for them full time, mm. uh, remotely from Toronto. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember that because it's funny. Like I, I was just curious if I could find that original email. I couldn't, but I did like do a search of the archive on my laptop, and I found a lot of original like these real beer emails those like the newsletters and they mentioned yeah. the work the writing that you did in, on the site way back when yeah I think I started World of Beer in 97 yeah that I sounds think. about right yeah that's kind of when things started getting on to getting online it's all lost to the ether now of I know. course no, it's all gone yeah. I want to get back to something that we that I interrupted myself and I didn't get a good I didn't get an answer from you because of me but what's exciting you right oh, now about locally. Ontario like what's what's getting you going here maybe it's a reaction to IPA mania a reaction to um, you know New England style of haze bombs or milkshakes or sour this that and the other but I'm excited about lager brewing in this province yeah yeah there's, I mean, we started with Tooth and Nail, Vim and Vigor, and, yep. and I, I bore myself how much I talk about Tooth and Nail, Vim, Vim and Vigor, because <laughs> it is such a good beer. Another guy, there's, there's another influence, Matt um, worked at Beer Bistro, Beer Bistro. Yes, and of got his passion for beer at Beer Bistro. Uh, we hooked him up with his apprenticeship at Cantillon, 
Um, okay. So he did an apprenticeship. Yeah. And then we went down for like a full year apprentice. I helped him with his visa to go down and apprentice at um, Lost Abbey in yeah. San Diego. Because I co-hosted with him a tasting of Lost Abbey beers at Beer Bistro in the back room um, when he came back. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he he went on, of course, to open, to met Dana Guy, his wife, at Beer, at Bistro. Beer Bistro. Dana was our first bar manager. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was, there was a lot there. It'd be interesting to map out the Steve Beaumont <laughs> it's scary beer is what network. It would be scary. <laughs> Like your your beer family tree would be very extensive around uh, local and the world. But going back to your question, um, you know, there, I love the fact that brewers are embracing lager production. Uh, two years ago, maybe three years ago, you'd buy a lager in Ontario. It would be under conditioned. It would be a three week lager. It would taste mealy. It would taste warty. It it just wasn't there. Yeah because the breweries would be pushing it out. They wouldn't be giving it enough time. Now, you know, I get a lager and I'm, I'm excited about it. Yeah. You know, and it's not just the Pilsners and the Hellases, which everybody talks about. Let's talk about Silversmith and their dark lager. That's an outstanding yeah. Schwartz beer. You know, I, I, there's a lot going on in this province right now on the bottom of the fermenter. And uh, I think it doesn't get celebrated enough. So I try my best to celebrate it. Well, it's funny when I I did a podcast recently with Ryan from Nickelbrook slash Collective Arts, and on it he told me that what he wishes he could brew more of is loggers. Yeah, brewers always and want to brew. You're starting loggers. to see that now. There's there's no there's not a greater challenge for a brewer than brewing a lager. Yeah. Because there's nothing there there's no place to hide. You just can't, can't just add more hops. Yeah, you just don't have any place to hide. You've got to bring it or it's going to show. Yeah. And I've talked to brewers all over the world, and they all have this passion, the idea of brewing that perfect. And they all have the beer in mind. They all have that one like legendary lager that they want to brew something like that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about what you're doing now. So not just about the beer scene now. And you've got a couple new projects on the go. One is a new book, but one is also a, a new publication yes. in Ontario. And I've seen a couple of these now. I've, and I've always, and, it, and you know, you've always been a writer. And I guess it's almost like going back to your old journalism days, because now you're back in a, in a publication, in a way. I'll tell you, nothing has excited me more than launching Original Gravity yeah. in the last while. I mean, I, I've, I've written a book every year since 2012. But launching wow. Original Gravity was, and incidentally, I've got books scheduled till 2022 now. Oh. Um, <laughs> true story. Uh, but launching Original Gravity was hugely exciting for me, partly because it was a new thing. I've never edited a magazine before. Yeah. Uh, partly because, as I said in the editorial of the Premier Edition, I really think it's a magazine, it's a beer publication that Toronto needs. Um, we, we want to do it differently. You know, I've written for Ale Street News, Celebrator, yeah. all these all bruisings for yeah. years. Remember Great Lakes Brewing News? Great Lakes Brewing News. Yeah. It still exists. Oh, does it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
But I've, I've written for all these guys, and they all remind me of my old days from punk rock, where, you know, it's a scene reports, basically. So you, you get, oh, this is what's happening in this local market. This is what's happening in this local market. This is, this brewer's moved here. Nobody gives a shit. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what I thought was the biggest problem. When I wrote for these magazines, I would write columns, commentary, yeah. travel logs. Actually, good, rich stuff. Not just like, I mean, I always thought the Great Lakes Brewing News, I don't have proof, but I but back in its heyday, I always thought it just summarized what was being talked about in the bar towel discussion forum. Basically, like it was yeah. just like, here's the, here's the gossip. Yeah, and that's like, pretty much it. Yeah, who cares? Like, um, but the, we, we like to talk about original gravity, saying it's it's not beer literature; it's literature that happens to be about beer. Um, and our first thing is to provide something that is readable, and it doesn't. Mm. You can go into a bar and not and not care about the beer. But pick up an OG and actually read it and have fun enjoying reading it. Yeah. And that's what we're all about. That's great. Um, so that, that's really, we got our new issue uh, just about to come out. We got that planning on the third issue. And it's, uh, is it a monthly, quarterly? It's quarterly right now. Okay. Um, right now being 2018. Right. I know that. Sure. You know, and who knows when you're listening to this, yeah. dear listener. <laughs> um, but next year we hope to take it bi-monthly. Okay. And uh, it does not, for the amount of work I put into it, it, it there's no money. I mean, it's, it's, it is really a labor of love and excitement and thrill, and uh, I'm having a great time doing it. That's awesome. I wish I could make more money from it, but hell. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, well, you got to start with something, and hopefully that, uh, yeah, if it grows, then, I mean, I love the idea that sort of a beer publication can thrive. Because I, I mean, I, I had ideas about doing that kind of thing five years ago, and I, it was more of a pipe dream than anything else. And it's sort of nice to see with OG that happen and the market being able to sustain something like this. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, we've never really had dedicated beer publications. I mean, we had Taps as a magazine, but nice to see some local stuff that's beer focused. Well, on, on my impetus, we're also charging headlong into um, events as well. Okay. So we're going to start doing o Original Gravity Present events. Um, first one during this Toronto's Beer Week coming up. Right, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's there, there's a lot of potential there. Um, I'm an ideas guy. I have big ideas for this thing. Uh, the publisher, Daniel Nielsen, is based in England, yeah. uh, so we're not getting together every couple weeks. We're, you know, Skyping and, and, and meeting when he's over here or I'm over there. Sure. Uh, but this is a project that was at least two years in the works. Okay. And uh, it's, it's really nice to have it off, That's off great. the ground now. All right. And tell me about your new book. Um, well, the new book is, as you mentioned before, We'll Travel for Beer. Um, it, it is a challenger for my favorite book of mine now. Um, oh, yeah? I, I really, really had a lot of fun writing it. Um, people say, well, how, how much did you travel to, to do this? Or how long did it take you to write? I said, well, you know, I've been writing about beer for 28 years, so about 28 years. Um, because it really is, it's a lot of my experiences. Uh, you'll, you'll read about Frango in there. Yeah. Um, it, it, 
was just something that I thought it's time to talk about the experience of beer. We get so hung up on beer a lot of the time uh, that we don't see the forest for the trees. Um, it's, it's quite possible to enjoy a very mediocre beer in a spectacular setting. A hundred percent. And uh, and when that beer is spectacular as well, then hey, you just Even dialed better. it up. Yeah. You know, it, it's now at 11. Um, I really love uh, traveling. Mm -hmm. um, for beer, yes, but in general. Just, uh, yeah. And I, I try to convey all that passion, all that love of travel, all that love of experiences into the book. Yeah. Um, we settled on 101. Incidentally, the, the way that the book came together, as I woke up one morning, this, this is a, I swear to God, this is true. I woke up one morning with the title in my head. Oh yeah, okay. Nothing else, no flesh to the bones, Start just the title yeah. in my head. I emailed my publisher, the same publisher who, who publishes the, the Pocket Beer Book and yep. the uh, World Atlas of Beer. I emailed her and I said, I've got this idea for a beer travel book. I want to call it Will Travel for Beer. And she basically greenlighted it off of that. Perfect. <laughs> and, and then I had to go, oh yeah, I guess I should come up with a real serious idea. <laughs> So we came up, we decided 101, it seems to be a good number to yeah. people use for things like this. But I didn't want I didn't want it to be a listicle. I didn't want it to be, oh, you know, you gotta go to this festival, you gotta drink this beer, you gotta visit yeah, this brewery, you know. That's that's bullshit. Yeah. I wanted it to be about experiences. Um, the essay that I was most reluctant to write but felt obligated to was about the Great American Beer Festival. Okay. And even that became more about the city of Denver than about the festival itself. Uh, I've been to the GABF, I think it's 18 times now. Uh, wow. This year will mark the first, the only the second time since 1991 that I've missed two years in a row. Okay. Um, but the GABF is a frustrating festival. It's overcrowded. They pour one ounce samples. Yeah. You can't get I've, a sense. I've never been, but it... It's actually not appealing. No, it's not. Like, I don't it's really want to go. It's one of these days I'm going to go to the GABF, but I'm never going to go to the GABF. I'm yeah. just going to go to the events surrounding the GABF. Well, yeah. Well, most of the time, like, when I tell people about, or when people ask me about, should I go to so-and-so festival, I say to them, you know what? Go to that city and go on the weekend where the festival's not happening, yeah. and you'll have probably a much better time. You know what I used to do that about, but I don't anymore, is Oktoberfest. Yeah. I finally went to Oktoberfest. It's also in the in Will Travel for Beer. And uh, I found out that Oktoberfest is not just about the beer. Everybody thinks Oktoberfest is this big beer drinking party. The world's biggest beer festival. There's nothing festival of beer festival about it. Yeah. Um, for one, there are only six beers. How <laughs> yeah. much of a festival? Six, six breweries, six <laughs> beers, that's it. Yeah. Um, but it's an experience. You know, it's a Bavarian cultural festival. Everyone thinks that, you know, it's all these Japanese tourists dancing on the tables. People from outside of Germany compose only 15% of the people who go to Oktoberfest. Mm. And of the 85% of Germans, uh, I think over 70% or over 60% are Bavarians. It's a Bavarian wow. cultural festival. Yeah. And there's, there's a fairground, there's a wine tent, there's... Um, you know, they're very, they emphasize the foods. The foods are a big component of it. It's not just about the food. Yeah. Well, one of my sort of rules of travel, and I always convey this to anybody that cares to listen to me, is 
beer is a great way to find good experiences while you travel, but they don't have to be about beer. And what I mean by that is that usually if you go seeking the good beer, it takes you to the good places wherever you are. Sure. Because like you think about a big American city, for example, and you know, take Chicago. A tourist guide would say, you know, do all the Chicago downtown loop, loopy stuff. But you go find the good beer, you go to the real neighborhoods. Yeah. And I find that's kind of a good rule to live by when I travel, because if you seek out the good beer, you doesn't need to be just the beer that you find. You find all this other great stuff. Well, here's here's a story for you, and and this is this is also detailed in in Will Travel for Beer. Um, when I started writing about beer in the early 1990s, I never thought of the places beer would take me. I didn't think that I'd be traveling regularly to Brazil. I didn't think that like this fall I'm going to um, Santiago, Chile, and Lima, Peru. I never thought that would be because of beer. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think beer would take me to China, but it did. Yeah. And here I am in Beijing, and I, there's a woman there, Michelle Wang, who's a tremendous uh, young entrepreneur, um, very, very devoted to the beer scene of her con- country. And she's taking me around um, in true Chinese hospitality fashion, not letting me pay for anything, which is extremely frustrating. <laughs> Uh, but she she took me to this uh, brewery called Jing'e. Jing'e is run by two expats, one American, one Canadian. Okay. And it was it's their tap room was originally planned as just being a pop up. It was supposed to be, I think, a six month pop up. Well, it's permanent, and it's a gorgeous place hidden in this little back alley of Beijing. And I walked in there and I was like. My God, this place is astounding. It was, I felt more at home there than in any other place that I went to in uh, all of Beijing. And not because it was so Western. It was actually, it's actually very Eastern. Yeah. But it just, it had that wonderful, welcoming feel to it. Um, the beer is very good. They're doing some of the most exciting experimental beers in China right now. That's great. Uh, so that that was you know, one of those things. Like in pursuit of good beer, I ended up in a great place. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to tell a story. You probably remember once I remind you of the travel, the beer travel experience that you and I had. And so this was, I got a my first car very late in life. I, most people stand. Not, not later than me. Yeah, not later than I you. Just, I just got my first car yesterday. Oh my God, congratulations. <laughs> so I got my first car, I think I was 30. So for many people, that's late. And I remember I was chatting with you at Beer Bistro. And I always thought that you had a, a fun ulterior motive here. But I asked you, I have my first car. I want to go on a road trip. I said, what would you recommend I go to? Either... Belgium comes to Cooperstown at Omegang or the Vermont Brewers Festival. And without, a, without missing a beat, you were like, you gotta go to Belgium comes to Cooperstown and Omegang. And then I think it took about 10 seconds and you said, can I have a ride? <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, yeah. I did pick Belgium comes to Cooperstown and me and my buddy Bruce, I'm sure you remember, and you and Maggie, the four of us, Loaded into my car, yep. and I actually think Maggie forgot her passport. She and did. This was, actually. And this was 
It was pre. It's, it was pre-mandated passport. It was pre-mandate, but it was post 9/11, so it was like. And and she is black. Yeah. So. But we soldiered on and and got through yes, and we, we and had a had a hell of a weekend. It was one of the most memorable beer events that I ever went to and it was the very first road trip I ever took and I have you to thank for that. Well I'll tell you it wasn't there there wasn't really an ulterior motive. <laughs> um, Larry Bennett who is uh, the longtime media guy for Oma Gang who is retiring next year. Um, he invited me down the year earlier and I went okay. um, had this quite remarkable experience down there and uh, of course next year he invited me back. Um, so I was going to go one way or the other, yeah. whether it was in a rental car or, yeah. or in the back seat of your car. Um, but the, the real reason I suggested uh, Belgian Comes to Cooperstown over the Vermont Brewers Festival is I had, I had been to the Belgian Comes to Cooperstown the year before. I've never been to the Vermont Brewers Festival. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Still to this day, I've never been to the Vermont Brewers Festival. So it wasn't because you necessarily preferred one or the other. other. You I just, just hadn't been. I went with what I knew. <laughs> I love it. Well, it's funny. It, it, it was a couple years later. I did, in fact, make it down to the Vermont Brewers Festival. And nothing against the Vermont Brewers Festival, but that's one of those times where I would say to somebody, go to Burlington, not when the Brewers Festival is happening. You'll have a much better time in the town, and you'll enjoy everything with all, without all of the frenzy that when the festival is in town. Yeah. Burlington's such a great city. I, I love going there. I was oh, just there so this great. spring. I, on the same trip with David Ort, oh, yeah. who, who, who launched, and that's when we found out we were both launching, launching. beer magazines yeah. in Southern Ontario. Like, hey, what fun. Now we've got and two. And when are you publishing? At the exact same time. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, now it's like, now we have, it's like the IPA craze. Now we have a wealth of publications around. <laughs> Wherever you turn, another publication. Um, okay, well, I... Stephen, I don't want to take up too much of your time. It's been it's been about an hour that we've been chatting, which has been amazing. Um, but I thought I would uh, just like you know close with uh, what's next for you. You mentioned you don't need to give away any of your your book secrets, but you mentioned a few things that you have in the hopper. Like what's uh, what's coming up for you that uh, that's exciting? Well, Tim and I are working on the third edition of the World Atlas of Beer for 2020. Okay. Um, a lot of people who know me for beer don't know this about me, but since the mid-90s, I've also been a spirits writer, mm, um, yeah. taking my cue from Michael Jackson. Uh, I, I turned my attention to spirits long ago, and I'm about to co-author a uh, cross-Canada distillery guide. Oh, wow. With Christine Sismondo. Oh, okay, great. So that will be out uh, next year. Awesome. Next year in 2019. This is the first official mention of it, actually. I've, okay. I've hinted about it on uh, Twitter. But hey, scoop. I've never okay. actually said anything about it. But yeah, that's going to happen. Um, we're hoping to take Original Gravity by monthly next year, which yeah. I think I mentioned earlier. Um, I've uh, I've got a few other little little bits and pieces in the in the fodder that yeah. I haven't can't really talk about yet. But yeah. No, it's it's you know it's funny the last. I'd say five to seven years when I meet new people and I say, "Oh yeah, I write about beer." And they say, "Oh wow, you're really you really started at the right time." Like, no, I started <laughs> like, in no. 1990. <laughs> I started at the worst time. <laughs> I just I 
I just happen to have hung around for the yeah. best time. <laughs> um, it is it is really an exciting time to to be in uh, Toronto, to to be in Southern Ontario, to be in Canada. Um, yeah, the, we didn't talk as much about the Canadian beer scene as probably we should have. Uh, I should tell people that... We can still talk a little bit about that. I should tell people that they have never been to the Great Canadian Beer Festival in Victoria, that oh, they should. Right. Yeah. Um, that I was going to say, like, what are the things that somebody just needs to know about beer and what to do and what to drink? And that's one of those things. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I would say as far as, like, getting to know beer in Canada, there are pretty much three things that you have to do. Um, Great Canadian Beer Festival in Victoria. It's, a, it's the weekend after Labor Day every year. Yeah. Um, the Cask Days Festival in Toronto, which is insane, is the largest cask condition ale festival outside of the UK. And going to Montreal. Oh yeah. Um, Montreal is it you know as far as big cities in Canada, it was late to the game in terms of microbrewing. Yeah. Um, but my God, they've made up in space. Well, now and it's such got... It's such a great city to wander around drinking beer. Yeah. It's well, tremendous. It's, it was always an awesome city. And I remember one of my first articles that weren't, wasn't about Toronto was about Montreal. And Benoit, who is the owner of Benelux, I remember so vividly, he drew for me the Montreal brew pub map that I used on the site for years. It's still there somewhere. And back then, there was really like about four places, and now it's just there. It's everywhere. Yeah, it's so. it's, it's phenomenal. Um, I mean, there there are great beer places I haven't even been to because I haven't gone back to Montreal for a while. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it, it's it's a, a great city and a great beer city. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to ask you before we close. So, you know, speaking of Toronto, this is your home. This is where you live. What's what? And I never ask you just to pick one, but what are the what are some of the places that you like to regular nowadays around uh, around the city here? What do you should ask? <laughs> um, the the odd thing about me is that because I travel so much, when I'm at home, I tend to stay closer to home. Um, I I'm within steps of Bar Hop. I'm within steps of Burst. Yeah. I'm within steps of Bar Hop Bruco. Um, you know. Where else do I need to go? Well, that's it. You know, it covers it's, it. <laughs> it. It's a pretty good situation that I'm in, in the city. So because of that, um, my dear wife Maggie has started uh, to work on, on Saturdays. Okay. And um, this summer, because I've been home, I tend not to travel as much during the summer because it's more expensive than everyone else is. So yeah. I stay at home. Stay home. Uh, so what I've been doing this summer is I've been going out for long walks and just go dropping into different breweries, uh, different beer bars, yeah. getting out of my, my normal neighborhood. Out of the bubble. Uh, and it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's been, it's been really illuminating. Uh, found a lot of things. I finally made a visit to Bandit Brewery last okay. Saturday. Yeah, great. Uh, you know, so, so there's, a lot, there's a lot happening in the city, and I think that the, the best places to go in the city is everywhere. Yeah. It's just get out Let's of your go. comfort zone, go to a new neighborhood. Um, OntarioBev.net has this wonderful map yeah. that tells you. It's know, got everything. You know, as long you just put it on your Google and boom, it's like, okay, where's the closest brewery? Where's the closest beer bar? Oh, we're there and there. Okay, cool. Well, I remember back in the day, and you'd remember this too, 
and I made a reference to this. Toronto used to be like the same four places that we'd go to all the time because it's all there was. You know, you'd have Say What, you'd have the Granite, you'd have Joe's. And it was like, well, where are we going to go? Well, it's wherever we happen to be closest to of those four places. And now it's like, well, wherever we are, there's going to be a place there. And, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Like, we're adverse, you know. You know, we talked about Bar, uh, bar, uh, bar Hop and Bruco. You know, down in this area, there's, there's a ton of stuff. There used to be mascot. I mean, I remember when all there was was just the Rotterdam right there. And, you know, they had 40 beers, and we thought that was the, you know, the most impressive thing in the whole wide world. And it was like the hinterland, because you came down here and there was nothing else until you walked all the way over to say what. And now it's like I walked from Union down to here, and I passed six places I could have gone and had a great beer at. So... Well, you know, the, in the in the new edition of Original Gravity, which will, by the time you're all listening to this, will be the old edition of Original Gravity, Jordan St. John um, contributed an article uh, about learning about beer and then about teaching about beer. And he talked about Volo in the late aughts, so 2008, 2009, yeah. as being the place to go to learn about beer. He said you could walk in there, there'd always be regulars who you knew that you could chat with, that you could, you know, talk about either gossip from one of the websites yeah. or gossip from around the city or actual beer tasting. Like, oh, with spontaneous traffic beer tasting. Okay, yeah. cool. You can always have a beer conversation in there. And now I can go into, and this, this is the way it used to be. You, Someone like me, and, and I'm not saying I'm a celebrity or anything like that, but I am fairly recognizable within the beer community. Yeah. Um, I I could not go into a beer bar without finding someone I knew. Yeah. Now I do. I, I regularly yeah. go into beer bars, some of the best beer bars in the city, and there's nobody I know in the place. Well, that's the thing. I, I sometimes think about this, and it you know, makes me sort of feel like, oh, you know, it's like, back in the old days but it's like back then the community was so small we knew everybody and we were it but now it is so big so expansive that it's almost like well yeah we're still tied into it but we're not it anymore yeah like it's well this this is what beer bistro was a huge eye-opening experience for me um, because you quickly learn running a running our beer centric bar and restaurant you quickly learn that the 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 beer community the beer aficionados i hate the term beer geek so i'm not going to use it yeah. but the beer aficionados are not what drive this what drives this are people who are beer curious of course and now the beer curious have become the beer obsessives they're out there doing going you know ticking yeah. And, and they're not, they have no idea that there's this, you know, community out there who are doing the same thing. They're just going out and They're just doing beers. it, yeah. Because um, they like, can just do it wherever wherever they go. In the last, I think it's, I think, I think now you can still say in the last 12 months, um, the craft beer market on Young and Adelaide, the yeah. Walrus, and the King Street Taps, and the pint have all opened within maybe a 10 to 15 minute walk of each other 
adding hundreds of draft taps to downtown Toronto. Yeah. Not not like not twenty not or tens. forty, but yeah. <laughs> hundreds of draft taps. That's mind blowing. The, the the degree to which this whole craft beer thing has expanded well, is yeah. phenomenal. What's crazy to think is that back when I started working and I'd meet my buddy around First Canadian Place where King Taps is and we would get a cream or and now there's a bar with 150 taps there. Yeah. It's like, holy shit. Like, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. It really it blows me away every time. And now I get to travel to markets that are just starting this. Yeah. I, again, I, I hate to keep on referencing Original Gravity, but in issue number two, I've got a, a travel piece on Barcelona. Okay. Yeah. And there were four years between my last visit to Barcelona and my current one. And that city has exploded in those four years. Yeah. So what now? What took Toronto 15 years to do? Yeah. It's Barcelona's now, now doing just it like that. Four. Yeah. It's it's really astounding to watch. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, I'd like. I mean, it's been such a fun run over the last 20 some years. I mean, geez, who knows what's going to happen next? The whole thing's going to go to hell. <laughs> well, on that note... No, it's not really. It's not really. Uh, well, Stephen, it's been uh, great uh, knowing you, being friends for all these years, and uh, thanks for taking the time to chat. Uh, excited for uh, all that you've done and all that, you're, that you've got coming. And so... Uh, uh, yeah, glad we uh, we can still have beers um, when you happen to be grace us with your presence in Toronto. Well, I, I really appreciate um, doing this. Uh, I really I, I like the I appreciate the invitation. Um, fun to catch up on, yeah. on podcast. Good to talk old old beer, new beer. Yeah, yeah cover and, the uh, cover. Yeah, uh, anytime. Like, right. let's, let's do it again when Tim's next in town. That would be awesome. Thanks. Cheers.